Welcome to this special edition of Allergy Talk from the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I am Dr. Purvi Parikh, and this is the third episode in a three-part series on cough, treatment options in cough. Joining me are Dr. Kevin Murphy, the Director of Clinical Research at Boys Town National Research Hospital in Omaha, Nebraska. He completed a fellowship in allergy, asthma, immunology, and pediatric pulmonary at National Jewish Hospital. He is a spokesperson for the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. And Dr. Mandel Scher, Clinical Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at Morsini College of Medicine at University of Southern Florida in the Division of Allergy and Immunology. Dr. Scher is the head of the Center for Cough in Largo, Florida, with a large chronic cough population and is engaged in clinical investigation in promising and novel cough suppressants and controllers. He is a speaker on the local, regional, and national level on diagnosis and treatment of chronic cough and is also a spokesperson for the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Thanks for joining us again, doctors. So on the topic of treatment, Kevin, to get started, maybe it would be helpful to talk about what approaches are not acceptable in cough treatments. Pervy, I, I think that's an important question. And the answer to that comes from uh, an excellent expert roundtable meeting that occurred in April of 2017, convened uh, by the FDA. Uh, Dr. Schur was part of that uh, that roundtable, and uh, there was a great deal of discussion, particularly in the pediatric population, about uh, treatments that were not acceptable. And the participants uh, recommended that the use of cough suppressants uh, really depend upon the clinical situation, that Cough, however, should not be suppressed unless the cough is causing significant clinical consequences. And they gave some examples. Cough that leads to consecutive nights of poor sleep or vomiting. Cough that's so severe that it leads to rib fractures. And, and of course, cough that is severe enough to lead to, to apnea or hypoxemia. It was clear that overall, the participants agreed that the treatment of cough in children with opioid-containing products was not appropriate, and that alternative treatments for cough uh, would really differ depending on the age of the child. Uh, one of the conclusions, and I think is important, is, is that the participants did agree that the availability of non-opioid cough-controlling products uh, approved for children, uh, particularly as we look to the future, would be of great benefit. It's very interesting. So then what does work? What current you know, therapies are appropriate for treating cough? Sure, thank you. Um, so how do we treat cough? Uh, your grandmother was right. Honey, honey works. It's interesting. There's actually uh, evidence-based uh, data that sweetness and swallowing actually reduce that tickle and the back of your throat. So the concept of uh, sucking on honey in your tea um, actually is um, very useful. Uh, we use menthol cough drops, which are a local anesthetic for the back of the throat. For acute cough, again, that may help with that tickle. 
But actually, we find that in the chronic coughers, it's counterproductive because menthol can be very drying. And the problem with our chronic coughers is that they have laryngeal irritation. Um, think of it as the analogy to our neurodermatitics uh, who have very dry, itchy skin. What do we do? We lubricate it. So we do that same with our larynxes in our chronic cough patients. We have them sip on water, not gulping, and we have them, instead of using drying menthol cough drops, we use lubricating cough drops, which contains pectin, and there's several commercial brands out there of pectin cough drops, which can be very helpful in this lifestyle approach to our patients uh, with chronic cough. I've mentioned before that the last time the FDA approved a medication for cough was in 1958. It was benzonitate and dextromethorphan. So benzonitate has been out there uh, since then and has a modest impact uh, as a local receptor antagonist. Dextromethorphan works centrally uh, and it's an over-counter preparation. However, for really a highly effective dose of dextromethorphan, it would have to be at a level that would be prescriptive and have significant uh, side effects. So those are two drugs that are available, but again, only have modest impact. The first generational antihistamines have some data supporting uh, the use as antitussive, Benadryl, actually, or diphenhydramine, I should say, has uh, some data supporting it as an antitussive and using it at night, which will help with uh, sedation. And some of us have been using slow-release uh, chlorpheniramine uh, as an antitussive. Finally, there are the opiates, but as Kevin mentioned, um, relatively contraindicated in children and adults in light of our opiate epidemic in this country. We really try uh, not to use uh, the opiates, but they are kind of left as a uh, last resort uh, for therapy for those who have significant dysfunction or disability from their cough. Mandel, I would like to ask uh, your thoughts in regard to the over-the-counter cough medications. Do, do you find in your practice uh, any clinical benefit besides the placebo effect for symptom relief? Well, Kevin, uh, the placebo effect is there, and actually seeing it in the new novel cough drugs in development, uh, up to almost a 40% placebo effect in patients with chronic cough um, in these drugs that are being used. So there may be that. Uh, otherwise, again, What's out there is really dextromethorphan, uh, the, uh, the DMs. Um, you know, there's the guafenicin or the mucolytics. But again, for chronic co acute cough, that may be helpful if they're actually having mucus production uh, from a viral type of infection or chronic bronchitic. But in the chronic cough world where there is not much mucus production, uh, the guafenicin really doesn't have uh, much role. Um, and again, the dexamethorphan does have its clinical efficacy is somewhat limited. 
wow, I still can't get over, you know, that nothing has been approved since 1958. That's quite, um, quite staggering, especially given how common uh, of a chief complaint chronic cough is. Um, Mandel, what about other approaches such as behavioral therapy or other off-label uses that you haven't mentioned yet? Well, Pervy, this is what we're really using uh, to treat our patients with chronic cough, with the lack of having a real good pharmacologic, safe cough modulator suppressant or antitussive. Uh, there is emerging evidence um, of behavioral or speech therapy in the treatment of particularly chronic cough. As we've talked about in these discussions, the increased urge to cough, that tickle cough, is, has higher cortical involvement. We know that cough is voluntary. <coughs> cough is voluntary. So we know that there can be a behavioral component involved. And there's been the development of speech therapy, uh, particularly emphasizing laryngeal relaxation techniques, uh, which I personally use in my patients. And the evidence supports that it really uh, reduces the urge. And actually, the data shows reducing objective um, cough counts. So uh, the, uh, I find that extremely, extremely useful. Now, the issue is uh, we use off-label drugs uh, that are approved for other, other uh, reasons. And most of them what I call is brain meds. We're dealing with, uh, obviously, a central nervous system issue. Uh, and there is data in the literature supporting, objectively, some of these medications. Uh, the most common one I use is gabapentin. I generally will start at 100 to 300 milligrams at night and then titrate up or down depending on clinical efficacy uh, and side effects. Uh, gabapentin uh, can have a plethora of side effects from memory loss, sedation, um, dysphoria, edema, tremors. Um, so you have to look for all that. And I will gradually increase uh, every five to seven to ten days, eventually uh, not getting real high. Uh, the literature will go up to 1,800 milligrams. I generally don't get that high. And, and there you can have some clinical efficacy. Uh, the other drug I will use is, and is out there is amitriptyline. Uh, again, used as our theme of itch and pain, used commonly in chronic pain and headache, starting at 10 milligrams, and usually not going higher than 20 or 30 milligrams, but again, that should be titrated individually. And finally, there's some data, particularly in the pain literature, to use gabapentin and, and amitriptyline uh, synergistically. So lower doses together may have a synergistic uh, type of effect. Other medications that are used by clinicians include pregabalin, tramadol as an opiate derivative, other tricyclics, and baclofen have uh, all had literature and clinical usage. And last one is duloxetine is used by some uh, clinicians as an SSRI in an attempt to uh, be a cough suppressant. Great. That's very, very interesting. Uh, do you have any thoughts, Kevin, on the same topic? regarding any other off-label or behavioral uses? I know specifically with the habit cough, behavior is a big component. Yes, yeah, so I, I would say that 
when we think about habit cough, if you will, I think for many of us the the treatment of habit cough can be quite a challenge. I, I would say that over the years, I've found that there are now some new thoughts and approaches uh, that can be very effective in the treatment of, of habit cough in, in children. One of those is working with the family to have them think about the chronic cough as muscle memory or habit and that this memory or habit can be changed. Uh, this approach uh, has been outlined in the past uh, by a number of uh, individuals and most recently Miles Weinberger uh, has reported in the Annals of Allergy, and an approach, if you will, to helping families and, and clinicians with this suggestive therapy. In fact, there's an excellent website, www.habitcough.com. That's again, www.habitcough.com, that I would suggest that all clinicians uh, who are caring for, for children with habit cough uh, review and and also pass on to their patients because there's some very important approaches and suggestions that, that I have found to be very effective in, in helping uh, children who, who present with, with habit cough. Right. No, I know it, it can be very challenging, even with my own personal experience. Mandel, I know you had earlier mentioned about novel therapies being on the horizon. Uh, what can we expect? What's coming in the future of cough treatment? Well, yeah, I, I think this discussion gets to kind of cap off the trio of podcasts that we're doing on particularly chronic cough, because I think this is what is um, exciting, and um, there are some really good candidate uh, therapies for chronic cough. What helped uh, open uh, the world of clinical investigation for chronic cough was actually the, the development of the uh, cough uh, monitor. So, well, studies, again, like we talk about pain and itch, are primarily subjective, and so have cough. We now have an objective monitor of the number of coughs that are occurring, um, and that's really opened up over the last decade along with the development of these medications, to be able to properly assess the efficacies uh, of these medications. And the most uh, promising uh, drug is called uh, Jefepixent. Uh, it is a uh, P2X3 uh, receptor antagonist, uh, which is a uh, receptor on the nociceptive type C receptors, one of the group of multiple receptor uh, pathways, um, and Jefepixent uh, attaches to P2X3. Uh, ATP is the ligand, so ATP, which is involved with inflammation and neuronal injury, um, uh, injury which will then uh, activate the P2X3, which is involved in, 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 in cough. Um, Jefepixent also um, will attach to P2X2, which is involved with um, taste. Um, and uh, the results uh, of a phase 2B study show that at 50 milligrams twice a day had uh, significant improvement uh, in cough based on uh, the cough monitoring plus a lot of lifestyle measurements. 
But and the side effect, major side effects, that of uh, taste uh, alteration, which is reversible. But other than that, there was no significant side effects, particularly that of uh, sedation or uh, upper brain type function. Jeff Pixon is now close to finishing a uh, two-arm uh, phase three year-long study uh, looking at efficacy over three and six months with safety data over 12 months, dosing at 15 and 45 uh, milligrams twice a day. And top-line data that just came out recently showed that the 45 milligrams in their top-line announcement did have uh, clinical efficacy. So uh, there is a drug that may be approaching the finish line, which will again be the first drug approved since 1958 uh, for the treatment of uh, cough. In this case, the indication will be refractory or unexplained chronic cough. There are three other P2X3 selective molecules that are now all in phase 2A or 2B development. Um, and the other drug that is in the pipeline in phase 2 studies is a neurokinin-1 uh, antagonist. There are other candidates in various phase 1, phase 2 studies. So again, I think over the next couple years, uh, we will uh, be able to have uh, greatly needed uh, antitussive available to us. Well, that's great news because I know as clinicians, it can be extremely frustrating when we have such limited treatment options. Um, so, you know, I look forward to all of these novel therapies uh, coming out. Well, that's all the time that we have. Thank you to our guests and to the listeners. That concludes our three-part series on cough from the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. For other interesting episodes from Allergy Talk, please visit college.acaai.org forward slash allergy talk. And to receive CME credit for this or other eligible Allergy Talk podcasts, visit education.acaai.org forward slash allergy talk. I am Purvi Parikh for the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology.